Luke 9 and 18. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Thanks. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning. My name is Eldon. Privileged to open God's Word and explain this passage to you a little bit this morning as best as I can. Uh, I'm thankful for our production team who puts together wonderful videos like this. And if you didn't notice, um, that video was shot on a hiking trail and the path was going up. That's significant for this morning as we continue in this series uh, called The Road to the Cross. And this morning I want to look at the uphill road. Now, I've been sharing some road trip stories with you regularly in this series, and I got a couple more that I want to quickly share. I wish I could share all the details because they were fantastic trips that uh, Marcy and I took with our kids when they were very young, both of them to California. So the first time, um, our son, Josh, I do believe was around two years old, and he was in a car seat still, and well, Jessica might have been as well. She's 19 months older, so they're like two and four. And, uh, and we started out in Borden, Saskatchewan, and we headed for Fresno, California. 3,028 kilometers one way. <laughs> Went through Salt Lake City, and then through, uh, uh, come on, Vegas, I guess, and then and we, we decided to go the southern route instead of the more direct route, and then back up to Fresno, and then on the way home, up the coast, visited. So the reason for this trip was to visit, to, to actually uh, be a best man and my cousin and my best friend's wedding in Fresno. We were best friends growing up, had parted ways. I'm uh, pastoring a church in Saskatchewan. He just finished seminary and is pastoring in North Fresno. And so uh, on the way home, we visited his parents, my aunt and uncle in Abbotsford, and then headed home back to Borden, Saskatchewan. Long trip. One, one little quick sidebar before I get to the real point. Our son, Josh, we're literally, we just hit the highway off the gravel road by our house and we get to the Borden Bridge. So we're talking 10 minutes into the trip. He's like, are we there yet? 
And we said, oh, buddy, it's going to be all day. We had to average 1,000 kilometers a day to get there on time. And uh, so that's not just 10 hours. That's a long time on the road. And we said, no, all day, we're going to sleep at a hotel. Then we're going to go all day again. Then we're going to sleep at a hotel. Then we're going to go all day again, and then we'll be there. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and he didn't ask again. We were so, so surprised. So we get to Fresno, did the wedding. On the way home, we decided to visit the Sequoia National Forest. Has ever, anyone ever been there? Amazing forest, trees that are huge. In fact, one is cut out, you can drive a car through it. Like these trees are centuries old and they're massive. Now to get up there <clears throat> is a long grind uphill in the car and there's a sign that says, turn your air conditioning off to avoid overheating. In fact, some of these places even recommend that you not only turn the air off, but turn the heat full blast just to disperse some of the heat from your engine so that you don't break down on the side of the road getting up there. So the second trip, we're now living in Richmond. A few years later, the kids are old enough to enjoy Disney, so we decided to go down to Los Angeles from Richmond, and on the way, you hit this hill called the Grapevine. Anybody <laughs> taking that trip, right? So the first five miles of the Grapevine is a 6% grade. It's pretty steep. Same sign, right? Turn your air conditioning off so that you don't overheat. The uphill road, the road to the cross is an uphill road. And literally from Jericho to Jerusalem is a grind. This is the final stretch that Jesus is taking. It is exhilarating, yet it's dangerous. And it's imperative that we make it to the top as Jesus was determined to do. It was literally uphill. It was spiritually uphill. There's spiritual significance for us this morning and cultural relevance. And so today, um, I'm going I'm to use the last part of that text that we heard today as the main uh, passage for uh, our outline, Luke 18, 31 to 34. This is the third time that Jesus foretold his death, and it's at the very beginning of his ascent to Jerusalem. And so I'm going to reference uh, Luke 9, which is the first two times that Jesus foretold his death. They were read for us today. And I'm also going to reference the parallel passages to Luke 18, which are found in Matthew 20 and Mark 10. And so the main verse will be on there, but you're just going to listen as I repeat what Jesus says many times. This uphill road involves, uh, uh, that I can see from this text probably more, but from this text, four things. The uphill road involves, first of all, incredible devotion and discipleship. Verse 31, at the beginning, the first part, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Matthew 20, same, the parallel passage. And, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Mark 10. And as they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. Now in the first couple of times that he foretold his death, he said this, Luke 9, and he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, and in Luke 9 Verse 43, but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. 
Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. But the two key words are going and up. Going and up. Going, it means intentional and intense discipleship. Jesus was going, but he was going with his disciples. He took the 12. Yeah, there were other people around, uh, but Jesus used this last stretch to intentionally speak into his disciples' lives on the way. And what he says to them is something that he now is saying for the third time. It is so important and it is the heart of the gospel. He repeats over and over and over again the fact that he will die and that he will be raised to life. And he's discipling his followers, which is what a disciple means, a follower, a learner of Jesus. And he's repeating over and over again, the son of man, the son of David, the son of God must be killed and he must rise. He didn't squander an opportunity to disciple. And he said to them, see, we are going up. They knew what that meant. We're going up. He used his final approach. Have you ever been, if you've flown much on on an airplane, you'll know that uh, either the captain or the first officer will come on uh, as as the final approach happens and they'll say, prepare for final approach, right? Now that's probably more for uh, the flight attendants than it is for those who are sitting in the seats. But nonetheless, everybody buckles up and the flight attendants have things to do as they prepare for this final approach. But that's always said on the way down. The final approach in Jesus' case was the way up. And he's like, guys, are you prepared? You gonna buckle your (laughs) seatbelts? There's a lot of things here that we need to understand before we hit the top. He was literally leading them up, which would speak to the difficulty of truly following him and the blessing and the provision and the protection and the beauty of following him because we see things and we experience things on the heights that we can't if we remain in the valley. So I wanna show you a couple of pictures of exactly what I'm talking about. So the first picture here is the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. Pretty amazing road, hey? Now you can't see Jericho in this picture and you can't see Jerusalem. This is, I don't know how far into the journey probably just beginning, maybe we're about a quarter of a third of the way in. And uh, in my personal devotions right now, I'm going through um, First and Second Samuel, and just this morning I read about how when Saul was pursuing David, remember he wanted to kill him, and David is literally hiding in caves to avoid. As you pass some of the towns and you see the valley going in there, there's all kinds of places to hide. And this is where David some of these areas where David, as you get closer to Jerusalem, would have been hiding in these caves. It's interesting, still to this day, so there's a modern road and then there's the road right on the very top that the Romans built, still a lot of stone there. Um, In in that valley, there in that uh, uh, crevasse or whatever it is, there's a stream that runs in there. On the side of the road, in fact, you can see to the right and a little bit up, I do believe, an area where some, probably some monks or whatever have built monasteries along the way and they literally hide down there and study the things of God. It's really interesting. Um, Next picture. There's Jericho. There's Jerusalem. 
there's sea level. Jericho is about 300 feet, I think, below sea level. And in a, in a linear line, in a straight line, this is 14 miles, 22 kilometers. Following the road, it's more, obviously, because you're going up and down. But over these, in a straight line, over these 14 miles, it's an elevation gain of 3,300 feet. And it takes a very fit person in very good physical condition about eight to nine hours to grind it up that hill. Um, I, I, I preached this morning in Lake Arak before coming here, and of course the, the basement there has not been restored yet, and so the kids are in the service, and I said, hey kids, I want you to do two things for me this morning. I want you to count how many times I use the word uphill, and I want you to draw a picture of me, uh, not of me, of Jesus and his disciples, but I said, you're his disciples, so draw a picture of yourself walking with Jesus on this journey uphill. And so a little Jacob Harrison, he gave me this picture after the service, he not only counted the times, I'm not going to show you, that I used the word uphill, but he drew this picture. And it's, a, and it's an amazing depiction of this journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. And he drew this before he saw this. I was amazed. I'm like, buddy, that's fantastic. You nailed it. I told them all that they are getting treats from me, the ones who gave me pictures. Here's another one of Jesus with his disciples before he went, just before he went to the cross. Then another little girl drew. What kind of treats do you think I should get him? <laughs> Something good, I think, right? This is a grind. And Jesus, the scripture says, was walking ahead of them. He was so eager to get there. He was leading the way it was a grind, and they were amazed. I'm not sure, the scripture says that they were amazed at him, and I'm not sure if, if they were amazed at the words he was saying. Like, at one point he said, let these words sink into your ears. Or, if they were amazed at his vigor and his stamina and his determination. I think maybe a bit of both, but I think the latter is more true. They were amazed as he began this journey. He was so devoted and so intentional. See, we're going up to Jerusalem where the cross awaits. You need to get this. You need to get this. And he set the pace. And, and I, I had to question myself as I was preparing this week and I thought, how good am I? How good am, are we at following and at listening and understanding, not only to where he leads us, but to how he leads us at his pace. Will we endure this experience to get to the heights? The second thing that the uphill road to the cross involves is discernment and discretion. So let's carry on. Verse 31b and verse 34. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. But they will understand none of these things. They under, but, sorry, but they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. In the parallel passages, it says this. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him. And, and in the foretelling 1 and 2, Luke 9, he said, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. 
And later on, but while they were all marveling at everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. The third time, and they still didn't get it. Now, before we judge them too harshly, these 12, we have the advantage of 2,000 years of hindsight, right? <laughs> okay, so they say that hindsight is 2020. So if you take that over 2,000 years, I think our understanding and our vision is pretty sharp compared to what the disciples understood. I mean, you know, the limited access they had to the scriptures was scrolls on certain days in synagogues that they might hear some of these passages was... This is a little sparse, maybe. But we're not sure exactly why they didn't understand. It was written in the prophets. I mean, and Dr. Luke, who was writing this, he wasn't a slouch. He was a researcher, right? So I, I asked, why, why? Did they think maybe that Jesus was speaking metaphorically? I mean, they, they believed that Jesus came to establish his kingdom. Was the dream that they had and their vision of, of, of what Jesus was doing, was that going to be killed? Was that going to come to an end somehow? And Jesus was perhaps talking about, metaphorically, about the death of a dream or a kingdom. Was Jesus protecting them maybe from the full impact of his words until all that he spoke happened? He was slowly preparing them so as to not overwhelm them and put them in shock or did they really know, but they were in denial? Was he keeping them from talking to others about what they didn't yet understand? If you go back to Luke 29, it says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Maybe because they didn't understand, he says, no, I don't want you to talk about this because when we talk about things we don't understand, it can be a little dangerous, right? <laughs> or did they not link the scriptures, the Old Testament prophecy to current events? It was just too, too beyond, like they just had no framework by which to process this. Or was it the absence of the indwelling and illuminating work of the Spirit of God that kept their minds darkened to understanding? Well, I think it's actually probably a little smattering of everything, but the question I had is, how did Jesus understand? Well, the answer is the scriptures, the prophecy. Now, of course, the author has a little bit of a slight advantage, right? <laughs> I mean, Jesus being God is the one who gave these scriptures by the Holy Spirit to people to write down. It's his word, right? So he understood he has an advantage, but that's no excuse for us, for his disciples to not open the book to read and to discern. So um, this past week as the preachers Pastor Matt is preaching in Chilliwack and Pastor Jonathan in Promontory Campus. Um, we, we, uh, were, you know, we always talk about the passage and we do a little bit of study together. And then Pastor Matt this week shared uh, a table of all of the prophecies in these two verses that are found in the Old Testament. And, um, and this is amazing. <clears throat> so if you can see this, it's fairly small print and there's one and a half pages. These two verses that we're talking about here, verses, you know, 30, where are we in? 31 and verses 34. 
two verses, actually one and a half verses, are all prophesied in, in um, 39 places in the Old Testament in eight different books. And I don't know how many authors because the majority of them are from the Psalms, which is a collection of writings with different authors. I actually didn't go through all the Psalms to figure out exactly how many authors, 39 different places, eight different books. In Genesis, Deuteronomy, the Psalms, many places, Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, Job, and 2 Samuel, all of these places point exactly to these two verses. So, do you and I understand this path of discipleship that we're on with Jesus? And the question I had to ask is, are we, are we in his word? The only way that we're gonna be able to understand and discern our path of discipleship as Jesus leads us is if we're in his word. And, and if we're not in his word daily, we are sure to get, as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4, we are sure to get tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's where we're going if we're not in the word and we're not true to the authority of the scriptures. Listen, the amount of stuff coming at us in our culture and, and it is concerning, alarming. And I am, I am most concerned about our, our children right now who are being taught and thank goodness Thank God we have a strong children's ministry at Central where those kids are being taught the gospel and the scriptures every week. And our youth, the same thing. I am amazed at pastors Crystal and Chris and Jonathan who anchor these teams of children and youth and are so committed to the authority of scriptures and teaching these kids the gospel. I love hearing the sound of crying babies back there right now because it means that there's a future to this church, but it also means that we have to be so discerning, so discerning, and so committed to the scriptures because we are the ones to teach them, and it starts at home. And the amount of things coming at us right now in our culture, going all the way back to Genesis 1, that are destroying the image of God in our culture, in the areas of sexuality and gender and marriage and the sanctity of life, we gotta open our eyes and understand. How many of you have been paying attention to Disney's woke culture this week? If you don't know what I'm talking about, find out what it means. This couple of, just yesterday, in fact, I think Marcy showed me a headline in the news out of the States. A Connecticut school nurse suspended over transphobic post asking why 11-year-olds are being prescribed puberty blockers. Okay, so here's a nurse. I have no idea whether she's a believer or not, a Christian or not, and she's just questioning it. Is it okay for the medical world to prescribe an 11-year-old puberty blockers without their parents' consent. And she was suspended from her job as a school nurse. Okay, this is the culture we live in. Let's wake up. Let's discern things. Let's be committed to the scriptures and loving like crazy.
right? Medical assistance in dying, abortion. Have you looked at the agenda of our own government in some of these issues? Have you, do you realize the bills that are being passed right now as we, and debated as we sit here? It's uphill. And Jesus is asking us, do we understand? Do we understand the gospel? And it calls for so much discernment because the third thing we see on this uphill road involves, that this uphill road involves is danger and daily denial. Verses 32 and 33, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging him, they will kill him. Matthew 20, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Mark 10, and those who followed were afraid and taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was gonna happen to to him saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit him and flog him and kill him. Friends, our path of discipleship is not gonna look too different pretty quick. And in Luke 9, Jesus said, let these words sink into your ears. These words, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they were afraid to ask him about this saying. And then in Luke 9, the second time he foretells his death, he said, verse 23 in the verses here, and he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, If anyone would climb this hill with me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of of the holy angels. So are we willing, friends, disciples, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you willing to join Jesus on this uphill climb? Are we willing to lay down our lives at the top? How many of you have have seen or heard about a movie called Free Burma Rangers? Anybody seen that? Oh my goodness. Okay, write it down. Free Burma Rangers. Uh, Marcy and I watched it this week. Our kids have been telling us about it for months. Christian film, super well done. It's a documentary. Not gonna give away too much, but civil war in Burma has decimated the country and there's a guy in the States who said, so my mission to go free these people, to liberate these people. And at one point, his uh, translator, here I said I wouldn't give too much away. No, I better stop right there. His translator, <laughs> later on in the movie, said this, you know, where there is suffering, there is God. Where there is suffering, there God is And the main character in the movie, he says near the end, 
Why hang on to your life? You're going to lose it anyway at some point. So why hang on to it? There's people who need to be liberated. And it's an uphill battle. Can anyone guess what the highest point on the road is from Jericho to Jerusalem? The Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sweat drops of blood in prayer the night before, the night of his arrest and the night before his trial and his crucifixion. Then, after he sweat great drops of blood in prayer, he went one more time down and up through the Kidron Valley on the final climb to his death. So what does daily denial and death look like? I'm gonna name four things. First of all, daily submission. Jesus said that we need to take up our cross daily and follow him. Why did the Romans force people to carry their own cross? Has anybody, has anybody ever thought about that? Why did the Romans force people to carry their cross? Because the cross was an excruciating form of execution. And it was the ultimate betrayal of the government, rebellion, if you were condemned to die on a cross. It was reserved for the worst of criminals who would not submit to the authority of the Romans who ruled over them. And they said, if dying on that cross isn't enough, we're going to make you carry it. You're going to be put under that cross as a sign that you are now in full submission to this tyranny, to this rule. Did Jesus carry his own cross? The answer is no. Someone carried it for him. That's significant. Why? Because Jesus wasn't rebellious. He never sinned. He didn't do anything deserving of death. Yet he bore that cross and he became sin for us, a rebellious people, that we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus said, the least you can do in your daily discipleship and following me is to bear your cross and show the world that you submit to me and not to its ways. It means prayer daily and denying ourselves through the disciplines like fasting. That's why we do this at Lent because it points to the cross and the extreme sacrifice and the discipline that Jesus had in denying himself and praying. In the midst of shedding great drops of blood for you and for me. It means being daily radical, radically countercultural to continue uphill in our desire to follow Jesus. And it means daily being in his word that we might discern and understand our culture and the gospel. And this is hard because we live in an entitled, hedonistic culture <laughs> where we want everything and we want it now and we don't want to deny ourselves and we don't want to submit. I will do it my way. Jesus asks of you and of me this morning, will we do it his way? Well, I'm really preaching now. We better land this plane, right? Finalists, fi the final approach, here we come. So are you discouraged or depressed yet? 
<laughs> I hope not, because I love the main point that Luke makes and the story that follows it up, and that is this. The uphill road involves divine deliverance. In every single passage where he foretold his death, and in the parallel passage, it says, and on the third day he will rise. Matthew 20, and he will be raised on the third day. Mark 10, and after three days he will rise. Luke 9, on the third day he will be raised. <laughs> this is the consistent message. There is a resurrection, there is hope. We know that this is the end of the story. And so did Jesus. And that's why he went ahead of his disciples. We must point people to Christ. Yes, that's his death. But in his death is where God's love and mercy and justice meet. It's in his death where our, where our sin was atoned for. It's at the cross where he bore our sorrows and our shame. And all of the pain that this life uphill battle brings into our lives. He bore those things at the cross. And it's after the cross that he was raised where hope reigns and it keeps us going up that hill. I want you to listen to the story that follows this text. It's actually in context right at the beginning of this uphill climb. And as he drew near Jericho, as he drew near Jericho, as he's about to make this ascent to Jerusalem, a blind man was sitting by the road begging this is so poignant and so significant, so ironic. The disciples couldn't see anything and here's this blind man sitting there. And hearing a crowd go by, he inquired what this meant and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and he cried out, Jesus, like he had done so many times in his life, crying out for mercy that someone would take care of his needs. But this time he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Well, that didn't work. And he said, he cried out all the louder and he said, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked, what do you want me to do for you? It's a question we should all be asking ourselves. What, what do you want me to do for you? As Jesus is saying today. And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Same word as last week. That word well is the word sozo. It is to be made he whole, to be healed, to be saved. It's the only word for healing that can link to salvation. Your faith has saved you. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him. This guy had sat by the road for years and years begging, and I imagine his legs weren't too strong, but the minute that Jesus delivered him and saved him, he jumped up and he followed him up that hill, glorifying God, and all the people when they say it, saw it gave praise to God. They gave praise to God. When were this man's eyes opened? At the beginning of the climb. There's hope for the journey, right? We know the outcome. And Philip Yancey, in an interview, a podcast interview recently with Kerry Newhoff, he said this. He said, nothing speaks to the redeeming work of Christ more than a changed life. Nothing speaks to the redeeming work of Christ more than a changed life. 
Christ came to change lives and he invites us to join him on that mission. It's uphill, but there's hope for the journey. There's hope, there's hope for the journey because we know the outcome, amen? I wanna close, Pastor Tyson, you can come and join me as I close here in Psalm 40, which is really kind of my closing prayer to all of this. And I imagine that if this blind man had been around when the psalmist wrote this, it would have been his prayer. And I trust it's yours too. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man and the woman who makes the Lord his trust, her trust. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for me, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. It's an uphill battle. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation continually say, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. And all of his people said, Amen.